Well, please turn in your Bibles this morning to the little book of 3 John, clear toward the end of the New Testament. This little shortest book of the Bible, consisting of only 219 Greek words, was written by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to a man named Gaius, just written to one guy. And John is encouraged about what he sees in Gaius' life and wants to encourage him. He, he tells Gaius that you are well of soul. And by that, he's referring to the fact that Gaius is rightly connected with God by means of the gospel. The good news that the Bible shares about God and us. You see, Gaius came to the point where he placed his faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He recognizes that God is a right God. He is a right standard. He defines what is right and wrong. And all that we deserve from him is wrath because each and every one of us have violated his standard. But God's also a God of love. And in his love, he sent the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to earth to be born of a virgin. And as 100% God, 100% man, lived a sinless life on earth so that he would be a an acceptable substitute, a sacrifice to take our place in receiving the wrath of God. And so he died in our stead. And then he rose again from the grave, proving that he is the God-man. And Gaius recognized that that payment for sin is available to him and to us the same way through faith. Through transferring the dependence of our lives from ourselves, thinking that we can be a good enough person to earn merit with God and putting our dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. Believing that he is God, that he died in our place and rose again from the dead. That's what Gaius did. And John is so encouraged about that. He he sees that the gospel... That good news of Jesus not only brought Gaius into right relationship with God so that he is well of soul, but it's transforming him. What's important to God is becoming important to Gaius. And the gospel not only brought Gaius new life, but it's transforming him in such a way that that Gaius is committed to the gospel. So much so that we saw in verses 5 through 8 that as the church with whom John is fellowshipping at the time of the writing of this book has sent traveling missionaries, proclaimers of the gospel, and Gaius has served as a host for them, a launching pad, a sending base. And and John says, Gaius, as you do that, verse 8, you're actually a fellow worker with the truth with them. Just like when we are committed to missions, it's not just a particular missionary on a field. We're on that field with them. 
as we are a supporter of them through prayer, through finances, through encouragement. Well, unfortunately, Gaius's heart is not the heart of everyone. And as we come now this morning to verses 9 and 10, we find reference to a man named Diotrephes. Only time he's mentioned in the Bible. It's all we know about him is what's right here in these two verses. Diotrephes is not committed to the gospel. He's actually an enemy of the gospel. He does not share John's heart. He does not share Gaius's heart. He actually has a heart for only himself. He's a man of pride. And he's actually hindering the good news. So John says in this letter, if I'm able to come to you, we are going to call him out. We are going to bring his deeds to light. He seeks praise for himself. What he really needs is discipline. I'm going to read these two verses, and you can follow along in your copy of the text. Third John, verses 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. So we find this man, Diotrephes, a proud man, a man who's actually hindering the furtherance of the gospel, And the Apostle John says, this needs to come to light. This needs to be exposed. And I'm coming to clean house. Several weeks ago, about mid-October, my wife said something to me that many husbands would love to hear from their wives. She turned to me and said, When are you going to go hunting? I loved it. It was great. How many guys have their wife say, I wish you would hunt more? Now, the next sentence kind of added light to the first sentence. The second sentence was, I need to get something done around here. And so I headed out to hunt And my wife went into turbocharged cleaning mode. I mean, she loves it when I leave because she gets out all the chemicals and all the deep cleaning utensils. And I don't know what they all are, but she does. And she gets on her hands and her knees and she finds great joy in scrubbing and cleansing and cleaning and we don't even use Febreze in our house. You know how like some college dorm rooms get kind of gross and the answer to that is, hey, let's get some Febreze. And No, we get to the root of the issue in our house and we clean what doesn't even need to be cleaned. 
It's a deep clean. And here in verses 9 and 10, John is doing a deep clean. He's not going to brush over this. He's not going to Febreze it. He's going to call it to light. He's going to, he's going to expose it. He's going to deal with it. He's going to do a deep clean in the local church. With this man, Diotrephes. Now, we're going to look at verse 9 and then we're going to look at verse 10. In verse 9, John, the Apostle John, is going to tell us really what the heart of the issue is. The heart of the issue is that Diotrephes wants to have himself in first place. A position that's really eligible for one man, and that's the man Jesus Christ. But Diotrephes wants to put himself there. And as a result of that, We see what's true for Diotrephes can be true for each and every one of us in this room. When we start putting ourselves in the place of Jesus Christ, when we start taking first place in our life and pushing him to the back, the same thing can happen to us that happens with Diotrephes. We start pushing against authority. And that's what Diotrephes does here. He will have the audacity to say to the Apostle John, I don't need to listen to you. This is the Apostle John. Most likely at the time of the writing of this letter, the last living apostle. This is the one who walked with Jesus Christ. This is the one that Jesus called said, come follow me. This is the one that leaned up against the breast of Jesus at supper. This is the one that John referred to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And Diotrephes says, I don't have to listen to you. I can do what I want to do. And the reason Diotrephes comes to that place is because he puts himself in the place of Jesus Christ. Remember, verse 8 is an encouraging verse saying, Hey, as we support those who are proclaiming the gospel, we're sharers of their ministry. But not everybody has that heart. And this man, Diotrephes, it tells us, is hindering the gospel. John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Now, what John wrote is most likely not Second John, as far as what he's referring to here in verse 9. The message of Second John was, Don't be hospitable to those who are proclaiming falsehood. Here, looking at the verses around it, evidently this letter was encouraging churches to support missions. So most likely this letter to which John refers to here in verse 9 is something, I wrote something to the church, we don't have anymore. But this letter came and Diotrephes ignored it. In fact, it tells us here that Diotrephes does not accept what we say. Literally, the Greek words can be translated, Diotrephes does not receive us. You see, in rejecting the missionaries that were sent by John and the other elders of that local church, they're really rejecting John. By 
pushing away what John wrote to them, or they're rejecting John. Diotrephes is saying, John, I don't have to listen to you. He does not receive him. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. You see the little phrase there that says, who loves to be first amongst them. The words, who loves to be first, are English translation of one Greek word. It's a compound word. It's a word of, that is made up of two Greek words put together. Love and first place. You see, Diotrephes loves first place. The problem is there's only one that deserves to be in that position. Keep your finger in 3 John and turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. This great New Testament Christological passage, this passage that talks about Jesus Christ and who he is. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes about Jesus, he's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's our Greek word that we find here in 3 John, verse 9. You see, Jesus Christ is the one to have first place. Diotrephes loves that position. Diotrephes is usurping Jesus' position. He wants first place. And the result of that is rejection of authority. Rejection of authority. How do I know when I'm starting to put myself in first place instead of Jesus Christ? Because I start to push away the authority that God has placed over me. Diotrephes wants first place. Thanksgiving Day, my wife and I were up on the plains of North Dakota. We had spent the night before in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and we were going to drive to the farm where my sister-in-law and brother-in-law live outside in rural Munich, North Dakota, 15 miles from the Canadian border. I called my sister-in-law the night before and joked with her and said, we may get there a little early because we want some time with you. We had to go back to Grand Forks the afternoon. And she says, well, don't get here before 8. And I kind of laughed with her, but unbeknownst to us, the alarm clock in our hotel room had to be changed internally from daylight savings time to central time, and we didn't see that that hadn't taken place. And we literally got to my sister-in-law's really early. Well, dinner time finally came around, and, and the family members were seated around their large dining table, and my wife was on this left corner, and the head of the table was empty, and then there was a chair, and then there was my sister-in-law, and the only two people that needed the sit-down was me and my brother-in-law. Now, I'm faced with a conundrum. 
My, if I want to sit next to my wife, I'm going to have to sit at the head of the table. But that's not my place. You know, that's the place that has the nice chair with the arms. Uh, only dad gets that spot. I mean, that's my brother-in-law's mic spot. I, I can't sit in the chair with the arms and... The only other alternative is not sit next to my wife and sit next to my sister-in-law so that I'm between the two of them. It was just a conundrum. I didn't feel right taking first place. That It's reserved for one person, the head of the household. It's a reserved spot. It's the chair with the arms. Diotrephes has no problem taking Jesus' spot. He has no problem putting himself in first place. And the result of that is a heart attitude that says, I don't have to listen to authority. Now how do we know when that starts happening in our lives? How do we know when we start taking Jesus' chair? Well, I'm going to look at four different areas in the scripture that talk about God's authority, God's ordained, placed authority over each of our lives. Authority which you and me, we're called to honor. The first authority is God's word. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul is describing the life of a non-Christian. The life of a person who does not have the indwelling Spirit of God. The life of a person who stands thinking that they don't need God. That they are already good enough. And in verse 14, the Apostle Paul refers to this man as the natural man. And he says, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He doesn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He pushes away God's revelation as contained in his word. The problem is, when we get to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, and some of you who are Christians are living like the natural man. You can't see any difference. You are just as fleshly and carnal as the natural man who does not have the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able yet to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Paul says you're acting as if you aren't even Christians. You are rejecting the authority of the word of God, just like a non-Christian would. You're pushing away God's truth. And one of the results of taking first chair away from Jesus Christ is we start pushing away God's word. Well, I don't think that verse really applies to me. Or, 
I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I want to reserve some fun in my life. I don't have to align my life up with everything the Bible says. Areas of authority that God places over us. God's word. Secondly, the author of the Hebrews says within a local church, our elders. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So we are to yield to the authority of God's word within a local church. We are to yield to our elders and follow their leadership with joy because God has placed them in a position of accountability over us. They will give an account for all of us one day as they stand before the Lord. If you're a student here today, if you're a kid The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says our parents are in a position of authority. One sign of putting, taking Jesus' chair in your life is starting to push away the authority of your parents. In fact, if you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, the Apostle Paul in verse 18 says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't let alcohol control you. Let the Holy Spirit control you. And then he talks about the results of the Spirit's control. And one of the results down in verse 21 is that we'd be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, meaning we'll yield to each other. And Paul goes on to talk about wives yielding to the leadership of their husbands. And then he come to chapter 6 and it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If a child starts butting up and rebelling against their parent, it's a sign that they are taking Jesus' chair in their life. Paul goes on in chapter 6 and talks about the workplace here in terms of masters and slaves and says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart is to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So in the workplace... I have an obligation to yield to the authority of my employer in a very real way. As I serve my employer, ultimately I'm serving Jesus Christ. So we're asking the question, what clues do I have that I start taking Jesus' position? That I'm wanting Jesus' chair in my life. It's when we start pushing away God's ordained authority. We start pushing away his word. We start pushing away the leadership of the elders in our local church. We start pushing away as children, our parents' authority, or even in the workplace. We start dishonoring our boss or our employer. And here, the Apostle John says, ultimately, the issue with diatrophies. The reason why diatrophies is willing to say, I don't need to listen to you, John, is that he loves first place. 
And the first place is only reserved for one person. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.18, it's Jesus Christ who is to have first place in everything. Now, John has come to verses 9 and 10 not to do a Febreze spray. He has come to verses 9 and 10 to do a deep clean. He says, we need to exercise discipline here. This man is hindering the gospel. And there is a place for the local church to do discipline. And we're going to see in verse 10 that the Apostle Paul is calling those who are spiritual to expose the deeds of those who place themselves in first place instead of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 10, For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. John's going to list four things that Diotrephes is doing that he is going to expose. I will call attention. I will bring to light his deeds. This is what he's doing. First, he's unjustly accusing us with wicked words. That The verb that's translated unjustly accusing only occurs in this verb form here in the New Testament. But the noun form of that word occurs in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. And there it's translated gossip, to be a gossiper. Here, John is saying that diatrophies is gossiping against them with wicked, evil words. If we were going to put it into everyday language today, we'd say he is bad-mouthing John and the other elders of John's church. Not satisfied with that? He is rejecting John's counsel. He's rejecting God's word to him, and he is not benefiting those who are proclaiming the gospel. He's not hosting those missionaries. He's not helping them. He's choosing to just reject what John said. In fact, he's not even satisfied with that. The third thing that John says is that he forbids those who desire to do so. So within his local church, he is keeping, preventing other people from being involved in missions. Now, it's interesting to notice that uh, in verse 9, when John said that Diotrephes loves to be in first place among them, he is using a third-person pronoun, meaning that most likely Diotrephes is in a different church than Gaius is in. They're in the same town, but probably two different house churches. Otherwise, John would have included Gaius and said, among you. So they're, they're probably not in the same church, but they're in the same town. And John is exposing what Diotrephes is doing here in this church. And one of the things he's doing is he's keeping other people from being involved in missions. It'd be like here at Faith Bible Church to have one of our elders say, you can't give to that, to missions. And then it goes on to say, if somebody tries to, 
he puts them out of the church. He has enough influence that he gets others in the church to actually remove someone who wants to be involved in missions from the church. John says, we're going to call attention to this. We're going to bring it to light. We are going to expose it. We are going to do a deep clean. We're going to enter into discipline. Those of you who have been at Faith Bible Church for a while know that we practice church discipline here. As much as possible, we try to follow Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read those verses. Matthew 18, starting to read in verse 15, says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We practice those verses. And as an eldership, when we become aware of a brother or sister in the Lord who is caught up in sin, we will privately go and confront that person. If they say, yes, I have sinned, I've gotten caught up in this, we will work with them and disciple them. But if they refuse to listen to us, we'll take one or two more and go and confront them. And if they refuse to listen to two or three, we will call for a private session of the membership of Faith Bible Church, and we will tell it to the church. Now, we are in a tough days to be obedient within our culture because we live in a litigious society. There are churches all across the country who are being sued for trying to trying to carry out church discipline. We are doing our best to still be obedient to the laws of the land and to honor God. For example, with church discipline, we carry out Matthew 18 to its fullest extent with those who are official members of Faith Bible Church. And we encourage people to join Faith Bible Church to place yourselves in a position under authority of the local church that God has designed. And so if someone refuses counsel and if they refuse the elders who have come to them and confronted them about their sin, when we tell it to the church, we have a closed session of members only. If someone is caught up in sin and they are not an official member of Faith Bible Church, the elders go to that person and we use the phrase, you are removing yourself from the protective wing of the elders. Meaning, we will not be coming alongside of you when all of this goes south. We will not allow you to be involved in active ministry here at Faith Bible Church, teaching or other kinds of ministry. But we're living in a day where it's becoming more and more difficult to follow God in discipline. And there will be a day when we will have to disobey our government in order to obey God. One of my favorite memories of my brother was when we were both, I was like ninth grade, he was a senior, and we went to the lakes fishing with my dad. 
And we come in at the end of the day along the dock, and my brother was trying to pull the boat up to the dock, and so he reached out with his arm, and he was stepping out of the boat, had his arm here, and stepping out of the boat, one leg in the boat, one arm on the boat, one leg on the dock, one arm on the dock, and another boat had come by, and a big wave came by, and the boat shifted, and my brother did not let go of either, and he was spread eagle over the water. It was hilarious. I didn't even try to help him. I just sat there and laughed and laughed, and my dad was laughing, and he was just spread eagle. It was great. It was hilarious. I wish I could see him do it again. (laughs) Brothers. It's just like he's pulled in two directions. And, and, And more and more, we feel that way. But ultimately, we have to follow what the Apostle John says needs to be done. And that is, there are times when there needs to be a deep clean. There needs to be exposing of sin. It's no time for for, for Febreze. Just to try to make things smell nice. And here, the Apostle John tells us in 3 John that Diotrephes' actions need to be brought out. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us some good counsel on this in 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 in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's good verses for us to remember that when we exercise church discipline, church discipline is reserved for those who claim to be Christ followers. Those who claim to be Christians but are living like a non-Christian in that particular area. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So the point here is that in discipline... We are to be looking at those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ who are living in a moral life, who are putting themselves in Jesus' position. It's not asking someone who does not know Christ to live like a Christian. That's why when we have exercised discipline as an entire church family, we take 1 Corinthians 5 very literally and say, this is not a time to have fellowship. That brother or sister in the Lord... Until they repent, is welcome to sit under the word on a Sunday morning, but we are not to carry on fellowship with them until they repent of their sin. And then we will work with them and uh, disciple them until one day we can say this person is yielded to the Lord again. John here in Third John isn't worried about repercussions. He's simply saying, this has to be brought to light. 
Because Diotrephes is putting himself in a position that's reserved for Jesus Christ. And it's important two verses for us to remember. It's so easy for us to take Jesus' chair. And sometimes it's hard for us to recognize it, but these verses give us something to look for. When we start pushing away God's word, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't really have to listen to that. I don't want to listen to that. When we start getting a critical spirit toward our eldership at Faith Bible Church, as children, when we start just not wanting to honor mom and dad, or even in the workplace, when we start being disrespectful of our employer and not wanting to serve our employer, it's a sign that we are taking Jesus' spot. And John here is encouraging Gaius. Gaius, the gospel is at the core of who you are. I'm so encouraged, but that's not true for everybody. And when I come, we're going to expose diatrophies. We're going to do a deep clean. Because right now, he's got Jesus' chair. The local church must call attention to those who place themselves in first place above Jesus. Father, we thank you for these verses and the reminder of how easy it is for us to take Jesus' spot. Pray that as we head into Christmas, we would be reminded of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.